This is the Robert Affalter Show, and welcome. I am Robert Affalter, and we're just getting started this morning on the morning drive. And today what I want to talk about is programming. The idea that our brain is like a computer program. And I'm seeing a lot of people actually talking like this, too. And it becomes, I think for the first time maybe in history... Computers have gotten to the point where we can see how this analogy really is probably pretty accurate. That our brain is really just a biocomputer. And let me give you an example or, or take you through this analogy. Let's say that you're born with a, a brain. Seems <laughs> not too far-fetched, but <laughs> anyway, we're born with a brain. And one of the things that research is showing us is that maybe this brain that we're born with comes pre-programmed in ways that we don't really understand or haven't known about in the past. And let me give you an example. I've seen multiple studies now using, I think, both mice and rats where they've been trained through using an electric shock to be, to have a startle reflect, reflex when they're exposed to a certain smell. And it, like cherry blossoms, I think maybe was one of the smells, but it doesn't matter. The basic principle is that you expose the animal to a smell and simultaneously shock the animal with an electric shock. And you do that enough times that you expose the animal to the smell and they have the startle reflex even though you didn't present the electric shock. And this is not surprising to any of us have had any kind of training in psychology. But what is surprising, or many of us find surprising, is that not only does the animal have it, but its offspring often have also have the same startle reflex even though they've never been shocked. And this has been tracked down, I think, to 14 generations below the animal that was actually shocked. Now, <laughs> I find that to be a rather shocking <laughs> discovery. And what it tells us is that things that happen to our parents, or grandparents, or great-great-great-grandparents, maybe are being transmitted all the way down to us, and the brain that we receive at birth is actually pre-programmed, at least with certain fears. And we know that assuming that we respond similarly to the rat or the mouse, and we don't have any, at least I don't know of any research that says that we somehow get away from that. I mean, it seems to me probably likely that at least based on what we talked about yesterday, this idea of physics and evolution, that from a scientific standpoint, if evolution were true, then we probably have something similar going on with our brains that the mouse or the rat has. So if we accept that, then based on an evolutionary construct, and what I talked about yesterday, I believe, was that the body, in my view of it, is like a tool. So my computer is my tool. 
my brain is my tool. So if my brain is a biocomputer, and if there's a, such a thing as me or a spirit, and if I am that, then I can use my brain as a tool. And my brain is the tool that I use to control my body and navigate my world and experience my environment. So we start off with a brain that's already got some pre-programming. And then over time, we accomplish or, or receive more programs. And these programs come in the form of experiences. And the experiences can be just our parents, or school, or advertising, or just talking with some people, or just the experiences of life these experiences and we come to certain conclusions based on our experiences. And all of this becomes programming in our brain. And let me give you an example that really hit home for me. My grandson Nathan was just learning how to talk. And I'd been sitting out early in the morning having coffee. And he came out of the bedroom. He just woke up. He came, sat on my lap and he pointed to the coffee cup and said, hot coffee. And I said, no, it's not hot anymore. It's been sitting there for a while. I've been having the coffee, so it's not hot anymore. It's just coffee. And he said, coffee, and nodded his head, coffee. So what just happened? He just programmed in his brain that the liquid in that cup was coffee. Now imagine if he had grown up and I told him that that liquid was chocolate. And all his life I told him that in reality coffee was chocolate. To him, coffee would be chocolate. Now imagine he goes to a restaurant and he orders a cup of hot chocolate. And they actually bring him hot chocolate. And he's expecting coffee. <laughs> you see how the programming can work? And you see how we can wind up being frustrating and argue with each other and cause a lot of polarity based on just our programming? And is it possible that all the unrest in the world is based on programming and not anything real? Just misunderstandings that are recorded as programming in our brains. And we fail to take control of our brains and fail to realize that our brains can be fallible. And we continue to argue with each other based on these faulty programs. And it's really interesting when you take this kind of idea and then apply it to everything else in life. It was interesting for me to go back and apply it to the Garden of Eden in the Bible. And if you look at the story, we have Adam and Eve eating fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now before eating from that tree, before eating that fruit, they had no knowledge of good or evil. And it's really interesting when we think about that just a little bit deeper, was that knowledge of good and evil true? Let's follow the story just a little bit further. 
Because once they had eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they realized that they were naked. And they covered themselves up. So apparently they thought that that wasn't a good thing. Now, is that a true thing? They eat from the tree of the... Well, let's put it this way. They eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Suddenly they have knowledge of good and evil. They realize they are naked and decide it would be better if they were covered. And yet, they were walking with God. The day before they were covered, they were walking with God. They decided to be covered because apparently they thought that was evil and that it would be good if they were covered. So from God's perspective, was the knowledge of good and evil a real thing? Or is it just something to argue about? <laughs> Think about that for a while. So really, was the origin, is the original sin something that was really a, a good thing? Do we gain when we gain the knowledge of good and evil? Did we really gain something? Did we become more like God? Or was God really kind of a plurality? Because further on we see that God say we shouldn't eat from the, no, the tree of life because then we would be like God. We'd live forever. So is it possible that this knowledge of good and evil, this fighting kind of stuff is happening within God or gods or whatever's happening, whatever the true reality is. Is that happening when if you live forever, you'd never have a chance to kind of clean the slate? It brings us to an interesting idea about death. I just talked about how we can perpetuate fear to our ancestors without meaning to. And that was the mouse story, or the rat story. How do we overcome that? And can we overcome that? And I think that applies to what we're seeing in race relations and all these little, when they aren't even little, I shouldn't say little, but because they are a big deal. They're, they're little in the from the standpoint of their little problems in our brains that on a grand scale become a big deal. I guess what I meant was petty, petty differences. Can we let go of petty differences and recognize the God within each of us and not fall for these differences? And as we look at brain research, a lot of what the scientists talk about is trying to conserve glucose. Glucose being the source of energy for the brain. And the idea there is that the brain develops through natural selection. The brain has developed certain programming methods to try to conserve energy because we're always searching for energy. We're always searching for food. We're always 
which is energy. We're always searching for that. And if the brain could program itself so that less energy is required, then that becomes our mechanism for evolution. In other words, those animals, us being animals, humans being included in the animals, that can best use energy would be most likely to survive. Because in a low energy environment, those animals that can't best use energy are going to die because they can't find the energy. So that's the idea. So then if we look at it from that perspective, the idea of tribalism, racism is really just a form of tribalism. So what we're really recognizing is something is like us or not like us. From an energy standpoint, if something's like us, it's less likely to do harm than something that's not like us. I talked to a, I've got a friend I met through Facebook who's in Rwanda. He was telling me that he's got, he has trouble finding a job because of racism. And I said, really, what's racism look like in Rwanda? Isn't everybody black? And he said, yes, but I'm from the wrong tribe. And he told me the, about the three different tribes. And basically, what I want to know is, well, why is there tribalism? What, what was it based on? It came down to being based on how they got energy. So one group was farmers, one group was like ranchers, and the other was the hunter-gatherers. It reminded me of the old westerns that we watch in the United States, where the farmers, the sodbusters, were up against the ranchers who wanted to have their cattle free range and didn't want the farmers tearing up the sod so that the cattle couldn't eat on the grass. Again, it's just an energy problem. So anyway, my friend in Rwanda is saying that he can't get a job because his ears are too big or his nose is too long or whatever it is that distinguishes him from a certain tribe and his tribe is not one in power. So my point being that racism seems to be something that's happening all around the world. And what we're trying to do to stamp out racism is to take control of our brains and overcome the program that we're born with. And some of us may be born with a stronger program than others. In other words, it may have been reinforced for generations and generations. And if we're actually born with it, if it's not something that, that just comes into being based on our experiences, that's much more difficult to eradicate than we might be thinking. And unless we have this spiritual side of us, like I talked about yesterday, that can actually take control of our brains, there's really no hope. Right? If I have no control over my brain, my brain is all that I am, and I'm born with a brain, and the brain adapts to my environment, then there's no way for me to take control of it. 
and we are doomed to this perpetual argument and fighting because we have no choice. So the real key is to back up and say, well, wait a minute, I am not my brain. I can control my brain. And to practice taking control. And what I discovered was I always thought I had control of my brain until I actually had the experience of trying to control it and saw how frequently it got away from me. So do that experience, that experiment, to have the experience of controlling your brain. Just sit quietly and try to think of one thing and see what happens to your brain. And see if you can catch it and bring your brain back to what it was you're trying to think about. And I think you'll find it much more difficult than you might imagine. <laughs> That's a fun little exercise. And the more you take control of your brain, the more you watch your thoughts and actually change your thoughts, not just watch them, but change your thoughts back to what you wanted to think about, the more you're separating yourself from your body. In other words, you're recognizing that you were the thing in control. And if we go back to the computer program, imagine that you have a computer or your phone or whatever it is, and you're holding it. And you know it's programmable if you got a smartphone, at least it's programmable. And you know that it's got programs on it. But what decides what program's going to run? The operator. You. <laughs> you get to control what goes into your computer, at least at some level. Now, in the course in mental mastery, I also go through this as an example. And one of the things I say is, look, if your computer's hooked up to the internet, you can get all kinds of viruses and malware and all kinds of things can get loaded into your computer. And you can choose to go get an antivirus program or you can choose to get rid of some of this malware. You can choose to be the operator and control your computer and clean it up. But similarly, you have to do the same thing with your brain. Your mind's full of a lot of malware and viruses and junk that's not doing any good. So what we gotta do is we gotta clean out all the junk. And you do that by questioning your programming, questioning your memories, questioning what you already believe to be true, and then look for evidence that maybe you should change your mind. And that's how you change your life. You change your life by changing your mind and deciding that you want a different experience and you're going to take different actions in order to have that. And when you do that, when you actually take control of your thoughts, I always like Napoleon Hill's idea of that's when you're closest to your creator. Because if you're just allowing the computer program to run, Imagine a computer sitting on your desk or sitting in your lap, and you're not doing anything, you're just watching the programs run. You're never really taking control, and it's just, it's just the energy matter. And that might respond to something happening on the internet, 
somebody else might be able to take control of your computer. However, if you want to be the operator or programmer of your own computer, you have to learn how to take control. And it's similar with learning how to take control of your computer body. So if you think of your body as your vehicle, and it's computerized just like my car, or your car, and it's going to run and follow the directions that you set out for it, or it's going to run based on directions that you fail to set out for it, based on somebody else controlling it, you're going to have a certain experience. Imagine you just get in a car and somebody else is running your car and all you do is watch. Well, you're going to have a certain experience. However, it won't be the experience that you chose. It's the experience that somebody else chose for you. Now imagine that you buy a car. It's already been programmed do certain things on certain days. Monday it's going to go to a certain place and Tuesday it's going to go to a different place. Or maybe it's going to go to the same place every day, kind of like going to work. In fact, going to work is one of the examples I use in the Mental Mastery course. I can actually put a program, create a program in my mind or in my brain. And I call it the go to work program or the go home program. And as an example, I say, well, you know, I can intend to stop at the store on my way home. Or intend to do something different and find that, you know, I might be several blocks past the store before I realize I've passed the store and didn't do what I intended to do. Now, how does that happen? Well, I'm saying it happens because I put in the go home program and didn't pay enough attention to how that was working until it was a little bit too late. In fact, I've been known to go all the way home and pull up at home. Sometimes my wife has to ask me, well, did you stop? And I have to admit, no, I forgot. Or sometimes I just see my house and go, whoop, I forgot, <laughs> and turn around and go to the store. But that's just another example of the programming, how we sometimes fail to take control. We just allow these programs to run, and we're thinking or doing something with our mind that has nothing to do with the program that we put in place. So I want you to think about that. Think about controlling your mind. Sit and have the experience. See how good you can do at controlling your mind. And then, once you've had the experience, you can practice that experience and try to take control during your day. And imagine if you took control all day long, if you were closest to your creator all day long, what would the world be like if everybody did that? And it all just starts with you and me. All right, that's the end of today's show. Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed this, please tell others and spread the world spread the word <laughs> so that we can change the world one person at a time. Robert Affolder signing off. Thanks again for listening.